Kevin Mondro here. Coach Dro, D-R-O. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast. The podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Pretty cool to see the feedback that I have received on episode 34, DJ Mosini. As we discussed in the podcast, Coach DJ is the new director of basketball operations at Oakland University. And what a win-win for both Coach DJ and Oakland. As you heard, DJ is the real deal. I've went back and listened to Coach DJ a few times this past week. How about DJ talking about doing five things a day in terms of recruiting? What a simple but powerful tip for young coaches. And Coach Greg Campy, Jeff Smith, Tony Jones, and Michael Covington are all super talented coaches and people. Coach Campy has 644 wins. Come on, living legend. And I go way back with Jeff Smith and Tony Jones. Tony Jones is one of the most elite recruiters in the history of mid-major college basketball. However, he is such a talented coach, an absolute wonderful person. Smitty, wait till we get on here and tell your story, coach. Talk about a grinder. Unsure you ever sleep, Jeff Smith. Endless respect for my friend. Coach Covington's father and I go way back, and I know that Coach Covington is a rising star in this industry. DJ, you said the more you give, the more you get in return. Thanks again for giving young coaches so much and telling your story. Today is another bounce back coach. This seems to be the theme right now. Coach DJ bounce back. Coach Dro is currently bouncing back. Again, more on that soon. And I know today's guest, Rick Carter, is for sure bouncing back. Rick Carter is our guest today. If you watched the TBT basketball tournament this summer on the ESPN networks, I know that you saw Coach Rick Carter. Rick is the current head coach of the Zip 'em Up, that is the Xavier University TBT team. As we all know, the TBT tournament is a must-watch basketball event for hoop fans every summer. And just wait to the story that Rick has to tell today. The current co-founder and CEO of Spotter EDU and founder of Details Training also has 15 years of Division I basketball experience. Stops at Michigan State, Fairfield, Western Michigan, Missouri, Xavier, and DePaul. Oh yeah, he also coached a few pros with the Michigan Mustangs AAU basketball program. Rick is an open book. He is relentless in everything that he touches, and Coach Carter truly understands what it means to have a growth mindset. Wait till you hear the beginning of this podcast. Coach Carter's helped me get back on my feet this summer. Today, Rick is going to help a ton of young coaches. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Enough of Coach Dro. Let's get to Coach Rick Carter and tell his story real quick. Before Coach Rick Carter's story, I need to tell you about my affiliate partner that I've been supporting since episode one. That friend, Desmond Ferguson, the owner of Moneyball Sportswear. Check out MoneyballSportswear.com. Let me tell you about the gear that Moneyball produces. Men's, women's, boys and girls sports attire, hoodies, sweatshirts, t-shirts, shorts, you name it, Moneyball has it. Get all your fall gear ASAP. Truly, what are you waiting for? And if you are a high school and or AAU coach and you need a new set of uniforms, please reach out to Moneyball. The uniforms that Desmond and his team create are simply spectacular. Go to MoneyballSportswear.com. 
Shop away. Enter the promo code DRO, D-R-O, in the coupon checkout. Grow with us. Moneyball, the only way to ball. Rick, why do you coach? You know, Drew, honestly, I listen to your podcast all the time. As much as people are prepared for this question, like, it's one of the harder things to, like, spit out, like, when you throw that question at me. For me, the reason that I coach is I think the game of basketball gives people the ability to go through challenges minute by minute, possession by possession, and really day by day. So helping people through those challenges is the reason that I coach. So taking the ability to help people on the court to be able to help people off the court. It's almost like that next play mindset. Yeah, it's a Steve Hawkins one, right? Like next possession for sure. So you've told me a few times now that you believe failure is the quickest way to success if you can handle it. How did this personal mindset evolve? Well, just I love player development. And I have a personal development. So like that's that whole concept of like a growth mindset. Well, in order to grow, you have to be put in uncomfortable situations. And the most uncomfortable situation is, is doing something and failing. Well, if you can learn from that failure and then not have it duplicated and change your habits, then obviously you're going to have success quicker. So that's kind of where it all came from is it's really through player development, watching people do rep after rep. And honestly, even myself doing rep after rep and just failing and then continuing to do it and getting better. You know, that's awesome. You know, going through this little bit of transition here for me and the few times that we've been able to connect, you know, I felt that you've really helped me almost guide me through this situation and almost make me, you know, anytime you lose a job or something's taken away from you, you know, there's different types of grieving stages you go through, but I really appreciate your friendship and your guidance and, you know, helping me turn a a negative into a positive. When I worked with Larry Farmer at Western Michigan, we were out recruiting one time and he said to me, obviously Larry had been, has been everywhere. He like head coach at UCLA when he was 26. Yeah. The Saudi national team head coach. He'd be a great person to have on the podcast because he has stories for days. Great Go guy. Ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, great guy. As you move up the coaching ladder, you have all these friends, right? And you see all these people all the time and they're always around you. It's great. But then when you fall, like it's the ones that reach out and like try to grab you and help you as you're falling. Those are the ones that kind of make a lasting impact. So like, obviously, like when I went through my situation and I fell, it was interesting to see the people that reach out to you and help pick you up. So I've always said that I'll always do that moving forward for people. And like, I'd never think like being fired as a failure. Again, it's one of those situations where you can look back from and say, okay, like now I have some time to breathe. Because as we all know, in a season or when you're coaching, you really don't have a lot of time to come up for air. But now that you do, you can sit back and say, okay, if I go back to do this, what am I going to do differently? And how can I take that and put it into my day-to-day life as well, too? Hmm. So one of the best moments of this summer was turning on the ESPN network and and watching you coach. You're the head coach at the Xavier alumni team, zip them up at the TBT tournament. By the way, how impressive is that tournament? (laughs) It's incredible. High-level basketball. I mean, obviously playing for a large cash prize. Just loved following you, obviously watching you coach and then following your social media into the games. How was that experience? You know, it was really cool because we talked about this a while ago about how how moving from being a coach to the CEO of a company is kind of like moving over one seat to becoming a head coach. Like as an assistant, you give suggestions. As the head coach, you obviously make the final decision. And being able to now take some experiences that I've had building a company and then putting them into use while I ran a team and got to be the head coach was a really cool experience. And like the TBT is an unbelievable deal. Um, I look at it as like WWE wrestling, like not the fake part of it, but like with the banter, like they want as much chaos as possible. They want Twitter, like they want, they want everything. You know, they want all the smoke. And like for a team like Xavier's alumni, that's kind of right up our alley, right? Like all those kids are just, you know, brought a little bit differently. They're all tough. You know, like we have gangsters in the locker, we have thugs, you know, the whole Cincinnati deal. So we kind of just took on that mantra and just really push forward with a social media drive and that everyone obviously liked. And then just being able to move over that one seat and coach guys that I had either been an assistant for or help recruit was really kind of a cool thing. And I give a lot of credit to the players because they bought in fully and we had a great time doing it. 
Yeah, high-level basketball for sure. Okay, so you move one seat over. You talked about running your own company now. What's that transition like to be a CEO, to be a head coach? Yeah, it's one of those things where I would not... You remember when you were an assistant and you'd go in and you'd give a suggestion and it wouldn't it wouldn't happen and you'd kind of be hurt you know you'd go back to your office or the next day you'd be thinking like man if we'd have just done this we'd have won you know like but what I've learned when you move over that one seat is like when you're the final decision maker you're making decisions not based on the one person that comes in your office you're based in, based in on your whole family your whole program your whole company and that's a hard thing to do you know like you have to take everyone's feelings into account you have to take everyone's strengths and weaknesses and how it's going to benefit and how it's going to be negative for some people and just making those final decisions is really hard and it's really important. And it's like I kind of how I open this with like the game of basketball makes you do that every 30 seconds. It's who you're going to sub. It's what play you're going to call. It's how you're going to get this guy out of a slump. And all those things are going through your mind. It's such rapid fire. And then you have a rep who makes a bad call who can throw chaos into the whole thing, right? So it's one of those deals where learning to kind of ride that emotion, but also still make the best decision for everyone possible. And I think what it all comes down to is if people don't trust you, you have no chance. You know, like you have zero chance. So Everything you do off the court with the players or with your team or staff is so important because it's just that connection, that buy-in, that when you do make a decision that might not be in favor of that person, they still respect your decision, you know? And when they're at the water cooler talking and someone says something bad, they stand up even though it wasn't theirs or something they don't like. So to me, it all comes back down to relationship building before you ever get into those moments. So obviously the, the Xavier team, they, they have this toughness, you know, they represented <laughs> toughness, played tough, and obviously they were all tremendous college players and represented Xavier and again, represented them so well. But I also think they're, you know, just from what I saw on social media, just beautiful young men. Were there any causes that you guys were able to advocate as part of the team? You know, one of the things that I think the biggest cause we advocated was just what you kind of mentioned. I think all of the guys or a ton of these guys that played at Xavier have this mantra of being edgy people, you know, like JP McCure, Mark Lyons, you know, like just edgy people. And I think we, get, we gave those guys a platform to show how much they've grown as people. And I think all of them did a tremendous job. You know, like me going into it and me and this, me and Mark have had this conversation. Like one of the people that I was like, really, I was like, man, Mark Lyons is going to be tough to coach from everything that I heard about. I was like, this is one dude that's going to be really, really like difficult. Like he's going to do whatever he wants. Like he's basically going to tell me to go F myself, you know, like, and just, yeah, he's talented, but this is something we got to manage. So I made it a point early on just to start, you know, building a relationship with Mark. And what was really great story, actually the first play of the game is supposed to be a horn set, right? Mm -hmm. And Mark comes down and literally shoots before we get to horns, just dribbles up the court. We win the tip and he shoots a three. And like right there, I had to make a decision like, uh Oh, how am I going to coach this guy? Like, am I going to yank him out and yell at him? Like I'm in college mm -hmm. or am I going to just kind of let him know that I rock with him, you know? And I just let him know that I rock with him. And from that point, moving forward, we had this trust within one another. So I actually said the second game, if you don't do that, then yeah, I should bench you because like, if you're going to do the first game, you got to do it the second. And he didn't. So I was a little disappointed. That's neither here nor there. I say all that because I think the thing that we were able to do is be able to push guys' brands and show people who they really are. And I thought that was really important coming from where we were coming from. Yeah, special, special, special. I'm glad you were able to be part of that. All right, let's circle back to your start. What did it mean to be with Coach Tom Izzo as a graduate assistant? Well, I mean, honestly, everything that I do in coaching is kind of from him. You know, like he's by far the biggest mentor that I have. And I remember just coaching high school basketball and being an AAU coach. So like when I was an undergrad, I was coaching the Michigan Mustangs, 17-under team. And Coach Izzo let me come to every practice. Like I wanted to be a manager and he wouldn't let me. He's like, no, like you don't want to be a coach, but he gave me full access to the program. So like I got to sit there and evaluate and watch him every single day. And in turn, if you see me coach, I have a lot of characteristics like coaches. Like I do a lot of similar things on the court during practice and even during games. So like being able to then go work with him on a day-to-day -day basis 
was unbelievable. And like the thing that I know a lot of his coaches have been on your podcast, I think all of us say the same thing. He holds you accountable to this standard of excellence that you get to decide. Mm. And then he's just relentless on you to help you achieve your goals. And it's not always fun. You know, some days are really tough, but like at the end of the day, like, you know, he really cares about you. And in turn, that like affects you on how you treat other people moving forward. So he's a relentless worker. He's a grinder. He's just like my mother, honestly. So it was like good to have someone as a mentor that is someone else that I look up to. You mentioned the Michigan Mustangs. Before we get to Coach Hawk, when you think about your career, I mean, you've been at Fairfield, Western Michigan, Missouri, Xavier, DePaul. Isn't it crazy that your experiences as an AAU coach propelled you into this profession? Well, yeah, and just luck. So like what a lot of people don't understand is how I got to the Mustangs. So like I was driving down the street one day and my dad was, you know, complaining to me that I needed to get a job. And I was at a stoplight and I looked to my left and there was a middle school and it said eighth grade coach wanted. And I was a sophomore in, in college. Mm. So I went in and applied and I started the next day. Well, the first tryout, uh, Mike Garland's son missed. So he got put on my team on the B team. So I got a connection to Michigan State because I got to coach really the best kid in eighth grade because he missed the first day. Well, then when that was done, uh, the uh, varsity coach asked me to come help him. And he was Chris Ferguson. His brother, Joel Ferguson, is on the board of trustees at Michigan State. So I got access to Michigan State. Then the last day of high school, Rod Watt says to me, hey, why don't you come with me to the Mustangs uh, practice? And I met Drew Neitzel. So it's really weird how like one little kind of incident propelled me for the rest of my like career in life. What was your experience? Like, did you think about when you were coaching the team this summer to all the way back when you were a head coach of the Michigan Mustangs? Every time I stepped foot on a basketball court to coach a game, I remember coaching in eighth grade, an eighth grade team or a high school team. And it's weird how little things like an interaction with a player can bring you back to, you know, coaching Ryan Hostler when he was in the 12th grade, you know? So like those kind of things are always with me and they obviously shape the coach that I am. And I'll never forget those things. And I'm very grateful for all so a minute in, we mentioned the word or the name Steve Hawkins. What does Steve Hawkins, Coach Hawk, mean to you and what did he teach you? Yeah, so Hawk was, he came to me really in a perfect time in my life. And I think a lot of coaches know, like me and Hawk kind of had a little falling out when I left West mm. because like I'm a Michigan State guy through and through. So I believe in carrying every stone. I believe in getting in at six, going home at two. And like your life is basketball, like you have no other life. And Hawk really taught me and Ed Cooley did too at Fairfield that there's a huge value in balance and that everything doesn't have to be done one certain way, like the Michigan State way, you know, like you can have a life and it's really healthy for your players as well, too. And Hawk, where he was great for me is he gave me so much freedom to be me. And it was kind of polar opposite of who he was, but he wasn't threatened by that. You know, he kind of let me do my thing. And whether it was organizing practice or, you know, coming up with different ideas with recruiting or whatnot. So he was just great for me because he kind of just gave me freedom. And that was another one. Larry Farmer said to me, he goes, man, wherever you go from here is going to be really hard because people aren't going to give you the freedom that Hawk gives, you know, and he was right. Like Hawk gave me a ton of freedom. And what he taught me more than anything was there's a, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, you know, like there's a ton of ways to do things differently. And as long as everyone does it consistently, you have a chance to be successful. And by the way, he did get a raw deal at Weston. Like, he should still be the head coach at Weston. But that's neither here nor there. Time for a quick 30-second timeout. Coach Rick Carter, getting this podcast to you is all because of my friends at Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You also get a great looking podcast website. They provide audio players that you can drop into other websites. They give detailed analytics to see how people are listening. To start your own podcast, follow the link in my show notes. Let 
Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And this also helps support my show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. Well, I'm sure Coach Hawk will be a head coach again. Can't wait to get up to Kalamazoo and spend some time with them and share his story. I know we're going to spend some time later recapping some of the podcasts and some of the things that you've enjoyed because you do for sure listen to them all and you, you let me know about it. But one of, the, one of the things, you know, Cornell Mann was on recently and it just blew me away about Hawk is that Corn obviously mentioned balance, work-life balance, but like he also mentioned how Hawk like almost like coached Corn throughout games. Like what was the experience like watching Coach Hawk coach? So the cool thing about Hawk is, is like, he's this high, like who he is in the office and then who he is on the court is different. Like Hawk is the best teacher of toughness that I've ever been around. Mm. And the standards of like diving for loose balls, like just everything, every little piece of toughness he teaches phenomenal. And then he's really good at holding people accountable to that. You know, that's where he's excellent. So like, it was great because you watch him coach and he's in practice again he lets his assistants do a lot of work but then you get to the game and he does a great job he's a great conductor of an orchestra of putting it kind of all together and where he does he's phenomenal at managing relationships within a game and i mean that even with the ref like it's he does a really good job of like and i don't want to say it's an act but it's kind of an act like he knows when to kind of go crazy over a call or when to yell at a kid and he's really good at that balance Incredible insight. So right now you're on a little hiatus from college coaching. I'm sure you'll be back soon. You obviously are the uh, owner and CEO of your own company, but you're also currently crushing it as a personal trainer in the Chicagoland area. A young man that you've been working with for a few years, just recently what committed to do. What are some keys for you getting kids better? The thing that I try to do is I, I try to make, I try to put kids in situations to be uncomfortable and I never force them into anything. Like if you don't want to come to work out, like I don't call you and remind you. Like I only work with guys that like reach out to me and want to work with me because with that comes a lot you know what i mean like i'm going to put you through a really high intensity hour hour and 15 minute workout just like we would in college and then i'm huge on details like the littlest thing like i'm a huge kobe bryant fan which is weird because i wasn't when he played it was more when he was done and he started doing the details on espn but like i'm really big just on little things to make people more efficient and um it's crazy how when you just focus on small things it can make such a big difference in a kid's game and they always have success with it so they want to come back for more and then you can get a little more complex so the biggest thing for me is just putting people in positions to be uncomfortable and then, like we talked about at the beginning, helping them kind of work through that. Hmm, that's awesome. So I'm a, I'm a big melting pot guy. You know, I like to take people from different backgrounds. You know, obviously my family is a, <laughs> is a great example, yeah. you know, just the dynamics of my own family. And, and I think that's, what's the beauty of, of basketball and team sports, you know, just so many different race backgrounds, everything come together as one and, you know, collective goals, but just thinking about came to my mind. So obviously you've been a mid-major assistant, high major assistant, coached AAU, and now do personal training. Isn't it sometimes we get in this world where we kind of just, you know, we're against this coach, we're against is like in terms of like, oh, yep. they're an individual training coach. They're an AAU coach. They're a college coach. But I think the beauty of your career is you've been in all spectrums. Yeah. I mean, that was a Tom Izzo thing for me. You know, he did every job. He started as a GA, worked his way up. You know, he did every job. And I think when you do every job, it's kind of how I created my company with my business partner. You know, like we didn't have employees to start. Mm -hmm. I did every job. So now when I'm managing people, I can go back and relate to, and I can empathize with their situation. I can relate. But more importantly, I can look at them and say, no, I know what it's like to mess up on a, on a report and have to go back and do it for six hours. You know, I did it by myself. You know, I didn't have someone helping. So I think when you have the ability to do that, it allows you to look through other people's eyes, which again, when you're trying to help them, it's a lot easier. Like I literally look at my as a tour guy. Like I don't ever look at myself as a coach. Like I'm a tour guy. I'm here to listen to what you want, 
and help you get there. And that's what a tour guide does, right? Like he listens to the, what trip you want to go on and then he takes you on the best possible path so you can have the most enjoyment during that trip. Mm. So do you think the tour guide mentality also relates to your current coaching philosophy? 100%. How? Yeah, 100%. Because I think what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to look at the person next to you, whether you're in the business world or whether you're coaching or if you're playing and say, okay, what are their strengths and weaknesses and how do they match up with mine? And what do I have to sacrifice to help them become better? And then they'll do the same thing for me. Like I'm a huge believer in you have to deposit if you want to withdraw. Like everything's a bank account, right? Like if you don't deposit, you can't withdraw. And that goes for coaching, that goes for managing, that goes for anything, right? So if you don't put something in, you can't take something out. And I think that's kind of my mantra and my philosophy on the tour guide, right? Like if you don't want to listen to people and hear what they have to say and where they want to go, there's no way you can help them get there. You know, there's going to be times when you're going to say, no, we have to go left and they want to go right. And if they don't trust you, that would be the withdrawal then they're not going to do it. And it's going to make for a rocky relationship and it's going to lead to failure. So as long as you deposit on the front end, you can always withdraw later. All right, let's really help some young coaches. Let's tackle a couple of things and just, you know, maybe offer some tips and advice from your past experiences. How do you think young coaches should approach recruiting? Well, I would say they have to be relentless and they have to understand that it isn't always... The kid's going to make the final decision, but there's people around that kid that's going to help influence him. And those people's opinions really, really matter. And they don't just matter in getting him to say yes. Because the real challenge, as you know, is once you get them there, those same people still matter. And if you forget about them, then they have a bad day. That's who they're calling. And that's why the transfer rate's so high, right? So it's one, recruiting a circle, recruiting a net. So putting a net around a kid and saying, okay, these are all the people that are important to him. Well, how do you figure that out? You have to ask a lot of questions, but if I can stress one thing to young coaches, it's shut up and listen. So when you ask a question, shut up and listen. Like, listen to what that person has to say. Like, the one thing I would say about the kid who's going to do, Jaden Shute, what John Shire did a phenomenal job of is he asked Jaden questions and then he listened. And then when Jaden was on his visit, he could bring up those things later. And they weren't just about basketball. They were just about life. Uh-huh. A lot of times we get into these conversations and we want to preach. We want to preach about our program. We want to preach about what we've done well. We want to preach about where they're going to fit in. None of that really matters if they don't know you care about them. And the way people know you care about them is if you just shut up and listen to them because they will tell you what they want you to know. How should young coaches approach networking? I mean, there's a reason that I'm not married, right? There's a reason that I elevated in coaching as fast as I did. Uh-huh. It's because I made that my, my wife. I made that my family. So whether it was our players, whether it was networking, like it was funny because when I was, when I took my hiatus, when I got forced away from the game of basketball for a little while, Verizon Wireless called me and they asked me if everything was okay. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you were the highest call volume and text volume in the greater Flint area. And now you've dropped off by 90%. Think about that. So in the greater Flint area, no one was using their cell phone more than I was, which is wild to think about, right? But I was on it all the time. And that's networking, right? It's like reaching out to people, checking in on people especially when you're not recruiting their players because you never know like people number one hire their friends and you also never know when someone's going to have a player so it's reaching out to people before they have players literally having genuine relationships it's not about just i want to have a relationship this with this person because they can help me it's about looking out for them as well too and i think as long as you do that networking you'll be fine and you'll be genuine you'll be known as a genuine person what are some simple rick carter tips for young coaches ask questions Mm. yeah ask a lot of questions and listen Be very open-minded and understand that the person sitting across from you, they have issues and problems too. And if you kind of can get those out of them and help them with it, it's going to connect you so much more. You know, Steve Hawkins, great line. The severer the initiation, the more dedicated you are to a cause, right? Like that's kind of the military mindset. So when you can go through something with someone like those water, those 
those watershed moments, like when, you know, I don't necessarily mean you have to cry, but when you can go through tough moments with people and help people out of them, that forms a bond that will never be broken. And that goes back to why I could coach the TBT team the way that I did. I had relationships with all those guys because we went through stuff together. So my thing with it is embrace those moments, try to find them as much as you can, and then kind of build from from there. That's great. All right, we're going to pivot here. So usually I do like a 13 minute goodbye, which I seem to like always stumble over, but I'm going to pivot because you've A, advocated the podcast and B, listened to it. <laughs> what are some of the favorite things that you've learned so far from the podcast? You know, I think you said something one time that just really kind of is what bought, is kind of what made me buy into your podcast. You said that when you were a college coach, especially on the men's side, you know, you looked at coaches differently that might've been a division two coach, a division three coach, a high school coach or a women's coach. And like now that you're not coaching, you can learn so much from all those people. And there is a divide, I think. You know, like I know when I was coaching, I thought D2 and D3 coaches were a joke. I was like, who are these guys? Like, what are they doing? Like, that sounds terrible. But now, like, getting to know them, like, again, they have their own issues and they really, truly do love the game of basketball. And there's so much you can learn from it. So I think what you've done a really good job of is taking people from different levels, different roles and responsibilities, and allowing them to kind of share their story. And I think you do a really good job of getting failure out of that as well, too. Because like I said before, if you're not failing, you're probably not growing as quickly as you can. Yeah, that's funny. And I need to do a much better job advocating more women's coaches. I appreciate you saying that. I think I continue to need to do a better job. And because, you know, the end of the day, coaches are coaches. Isn't it kind of incredible how so many coaches have been impacted from their high school coaches? Yeah, I mean, the high school coach thing, especially like I think when we were growing up was such a more, it was really impactful because we didn't have AAU and that's kind of where everything started. Like, I know my love for the game definitely probably started when I was in middle school, high school, but they are so important because high school coaches, when Jane Shute committed to Duke, I looked at him and said, okay, buddy, uh, now it becomes a business. Because when you go to college, now it's a business. You know what I mean? Like the money that's being made by the coaches, the stress level is just so high. Where a high school coach is really doing it for the love of basketball, you know, and the love of developing young men or young women. It isn't just to make a check or to move on to the next job. You know, like they have to go home and grade papers a lot of times or they have another job, you know, so like they're really, truly doing it for the love of the game. And I think that's where they impact those kids so much. Why you always go back to that. Have you used any lessons shared by the guests in your own professional or personal life so far, Rick? So I have. Honestly, it's been interesting because right now my business is completely remote. So my employees live across the country. So we haven't been able to do much in person. But I think one of the best podcasts you've had so far, I mean, Nate Oates was phenomenal. Like he was really, really good. You know, Dwayne Stevens obviously was great. Um, my biggest thing with all of my employees and just even the guys that I'm training is what I'm taking from your podcast more than anything is it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to tell your story. It can help someone else. And more importantly, when you're telling your story and impact someone and they reach out to you, like build that relationship because it's meaningful. You know, one thing that I'm blown away is right now I'm, I'm, I'm slowly approaching 50 before you know it, but I've been impressed with like the young coaches that I've talked to, like Drew Valentine, just recently Spike Albright, you know, 30, 29 years old. These guys have these incredible, you know, well thought coaching philosophies, you know, at that young age. You ever think about like how impressive some of these young coaches are at that early age, like just being so in tune to their profession? I mean, it's wild. And I think the thing that really helps them obviously is the internet, right? Like you can literally go on Google and search anything and get a video about it, you know? So you can get so much more information thrown into your brain to be able to like form your own opinions, good and bad, that they're way farther ahead. I mean, we talked about it with your son before we started recording, right? Like he's getting ready to go to kindergarten and like he has all this learning that he's already done. You know, like I was going to kindergarten to learn, like I didn't really have much in my bank. 
But people are educated so quickly now because of the internet. I think the young coaches are obviously doing a really good job of kind of taking in that knowledge and choosing what they want to expand on and not expand on. But the other thing that I think everyone is learning is, is that when there's a screen in front of your face all day, like personal connection is being limited. And younger coaches, I think, are really coming back to that. Like Drew Valentine does a phenomenal job of building relationships, right? Spike Albrecht does the same thing, you know? So I think young guys really are getting to understand that, which is important. How amazing is that coaches truly want to help and, and give back to young coaches? I, mean, I think it's really important. I mean, how did, how did we get that? We would have to go to a Nike clinic, right? Like we didn't have online. We'd have to buy tapes. You know, we're now like with social media, you're literally a push of a button away from someone. And what do coaches want to do? Like coaches want to coach. They want to help people. That's why like, we all try to find problems to fix. That's coaching. You're evaluating your team. You're evaluating the situation. And you're trying to fix it. So like if you reach out to a coach, there's not too many times if you're asking for help, they're going to turn you down. It's not in their nature. Like their nature is to help fix things. So I think it's awesome that coaches are kind of banding together and using the social media platform to do it quicker. Well, Rick, I thank you for being part of this podcast and I'm excited to share your story. I love you being vulnerable and honest. You know, one thing I've always loved about you is you're relentless. And I also love how you've pivoted. You know, you had a you know a situation in your own professional life and you really turned a negative into a positive. You know, there's a sense of maturity in your voice that I really, really love. And, you know, I've known you for a long time, you know, not probably as close as I should. I really felt it was important for someone to show that bounce back mentality. So you've definitely bounced back. I'm excited to share your brand. I'm really excited about what's next for you, Rick. Well, I do appreciate it, Drew, because like, honestly, you're always one of those guys that, you know, when you're out on the recruiting trail, there's certain people that you see that you always want to try to find a way to sit next to them, right? And like, I always want to try to find a way to sit next to you because we had some dry humor and we would always laugh. Like, no matter what was going on, we found a way to kind of have some fun. So I always appreciated you for that, for sure. But I do have I do have one question for you, and this is going to be kind of a surprise question, but I do have to ask this, okay? okay? So my question for you is this. Coach Rowe, why do you coach? Wow, you put me on the spot. Now I know what it feels like. It's tough, right? Like you, you can even you know it's coming. It's a tough question. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, I love helping people get better, and one of the things that I've learned in this is numerous things, but there's so many different ways to coach, and I think my respect and you know for coaches has just really, really, truly risen during this. And, you know, sure, I want to tell Tom Izzo's story and Juwan Howard's story, but every coach has their own story, and every coach can really coach. And I, and I think that's what's really been my biggest thing is sure. I love helping people get better, but like my appreciation level for coaches is just went off the chart. And, you know, this summer, my, you know, I've mentioned a million times, my son, he dabbles with golf and we had an instructor this summer that worked with my son for a week. And I just came home and I told my wife, like, man, this guy can coach and he's out here grinding and, you know, carving his niche. But just to see that, make that connection, that personal connection with my son and get my son to do some things that I can't get him to do. Like that's coaching. So I think of anything why I coach, you know, is obviously to help other people better. But right now I'm, I'm truly into about advocating other coaches, you know, and just helping them get better that way. If that's a, if that makes any sense, Rick. <laughs> no, it makes complete sense for sure. Cause it's exactly what you're doing with this podcast, right? Like you're putting, you're putting stories out there to help ab- advocate and help other people get better, which is coaching at its greatest extent. So if you could go back in your career and do something differently, what would you do? I think I would have been much more relentless, like you said, on the recruiting front. I think I would have touched base with more coaches than when they didn't have players. I think I would have been more genuine with high school coaches. I think I would have erased my, you know, the, this, you know, sometimes we get in the profession and we think we're a little bit better because we're division one assistants, but we're not. And, you know, that's one of the things I've come to really appreciate. And I always think about 
who was some of the best coaches I ever played for. And obviously I played for Perry Watson. He was an incredible coach. But my high school coach, John Verdura, you know, when I think about it all the time, he, he could have been a college coach. And that's what I think what resonates with me with the Nate Oates podcast. We know Nate when he was hustling here in Michigan, when he, you know, obviously worked the Perry Watson basketball camp and the ball handling station. We put him on a station that didn't even have a basket, you know, and just like him talking about him building a deck and, you know, just he's just so, you know, he, he caught a couple good breaks. But there's so many coaches like him that could catch a break. So that's one thing. Appreciation of high school coaches, recruiting. And then I think finally, I think I would have spent more time with the players. I got really, really driven with the dynamics of the job. And I just maybe should have been a little bit more vulnerable and and, and, and just been more accessible to the players. And for younger coaches out there, I, I wish I would have spent more time before practice and after practice. And I think I should have let my guard down a little bit more. And and like you said, with all the individual work you're doing, so many coaches talk about getting guys better. And I'm sure I did a great job in the drill works that Coach Murph, Coach Murph was exceptional at giving us 10 to 12, 20 minutes to get guys better. But, you know, how much time did I do pre and post? Yeah, for sure. And I just find it like so critical. Like if you have that relationship with them and in that 20 minutes, you can impact them so much more that when they're doing something wrong and you get at them, they're not like, like, oh, I hate that guy. Like, I'm not messing with him. They're actually going to listen because they know you care. I told, I mean, I, Nate Oates is an unbelievable story. I remember I was there with, I mean, I recruited Russ Clark. I wouldn't have my company if it wasn't for Nate Oates, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it yeah. literally, I came up with the idea for a spotter because Russ Clark was skipping his class, yeah. which is crazy to think about. You know, yes, and I remember it? watching him sell, like, candy bars to make some, like, extra money out of his classroom, which yeah. is wild. Yeah. You know, like, his story is unbelievable. Yeah, and it was crazy too. And how about Wes playing so good this summer? What a great player, man! Just loved watching it. Special, he special. Beat us. Yeah, he's he a, beat us. Like, <laughs> the irony I of your story. Before the game, unreal. Like so, me and him see each other. Me and Wes are close because I obviously recruited him to Missouri. Great player. And I'm like, great man, player. Like, unbelievably tough kid. I mean, he's like, I'm like, man, you can't have a night tonight. You got to take the night off. And you know, Wes is never going to take the night off. Yeah. And I'm like, just promise me if you guys win, you'll give me, you know, you'll give me a little bit of your scratch. And uh, <laughs> he started laughing. Like, Wes is a great kid. Like, yeah. And but he, it was fitting that he obviously hit the shot. Yeah. So. He helped your company and he, he obviously turned a negative into a positive. That's great. For sure. Anything else? <laughs> That's really it, man. I, I appreciate you giving me this platform. Honestly, like I said, I've always appreciated our friendship. And uh, looking forward to watching you and seeing what you have next to come and watching this continue to grow. And if you want to do another recap at like episode 50, <laughs> I have no problem jumping on and asking you some questions. Just let me know when. Well, you're a beautiful young man. And thanks so much, Rick. And I, I appreciate you making an impact with so many coaches and then so many kids you're working with in the Chicagoland area. So keep up the great work, my friend. Okay. I appreciate it, coach. That was a great conversation with Coach Rick Carter. What I love about Rick is that I never could anticipate how he was going to answer each question. There is absolutely nothing fake about Coach Rick Carter. As I said in the intro, Coach Carter is an open book and as honest as they come. That being said, I learned a ton from this podcast. Rick's thoughts on having a growth mindset and tackling failure head on so darn good. What about Rick describing coaching as being like a tour director. Again, I have never heard anything like this. Shut up and listen. So direct, so honest, so good for young coaches. Bounce back mentality. Rick, you are indeed back on your two feet, ready to attack what is next. And your next is simply your best chapter. Thanks, Coach Rick Carter, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you are currently listening. And we are everywhere. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach.
coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Stay safe, be you, keep coaching, and see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.